This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. The NFL. I've said it to our leadership, it's a tough place to work for a black person lately. Thomas Warren is a senior producer at NFL Media, and there are a lot of difficult conversations happening now. And conversations that I have with my colleagues, conversations I have with the leadership there, we have a lot of these discussions because it's happened, instances have happened too many times, whether it's issues with coach hirings, where it's what happened with John Gruden in the emails recently, this, this latest one with Brian Flores. The conversations we have with our leadership, which is a mostly white leadership is, we're not trying to guilt you into bringing about change. There just are a lot of talented, invested black people in this company who want to be a part of the solution. And Warren says, there is one overriding reason why this is important to handle now. And it's important about the NFL because of the makeup and the product on the field and how the league makes its money, which is on the backs of players that are 70 percent black. And I don't think that can be diminished in the conversation. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Leola Calzalai-Stewart is the producer of the PBS documentary, The American Diplomat. I think The American Diplomat is about the efforts of early Black diplomats to create space for people of color and American diplomacy. She talks about their challenges and some challenges she's had along the way, too. I remember being in high school and a counselor making me feel a little less than and it, I knew it was based on race. She gestured with her thumb and forefinger, creating a very small space. And I remember being in that meeting and just feeling like this small. Well, a sometimes emotional interview about her story and the American diplomat. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting. Injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Julie Pham, Vietnamese, American, born in Vietnam, living in Seattle. My name is Darren Brown. My tribal affiliation is Cochiti Pueblo in New Mexico. My name is Debbie Ratliff. I am of Irish, Scottish, and Puerto Rican descent. I was born in Puerto Rico. My name is JJ Green. I'm black, and this is Colors. The American Diplomat is a one-hour historical documentary airing on PBS. It examines the experience of African-American diplomats during the Cold War. At the height of the civil rights movement in the U.S., these men represented the best of American ideals abroad while facing discrimination at home. Colloquially referred to as male, pale, and Yale, the State Department fiercely maintained and cultivated the Foreign Service's elite character and was one of the last 
federal agencies to truly desegregate. Leola Calzali Stewart is the co-founder of the Virginia-based production company Flow State Film. She joins us on this program to talk about her work. Leola, you have a film called The American Diplomat that's getting all sorts of attention in the public broadcast space and the podcast world and you know, in general media and way beyond because it does something, it touches on something that a lot of people have been thinking about for years. And that is black folks as diplomats. In your mind, what is it that the American diplomat is about? I think the American diplomat is about the efforts of early black diplomats to create space for people of color and American diplomacy. It looks at the achievements of three um, Black diplomats, Edward R. Dudley, Terrence Todman, and Carl Rowan, um, both their achievements, but also the challenges they faced. And, um, you know, in the end, I, I really hope it sparks conversation about representation in diplomacy and kind of looks, you know, helps people, you know, dive into where we are now with, with representation diplomacy, but looking back at the history to help us understand, you know, um, you know, how we got here. Yeah. So why did you do it? Why did you make this film? Well, I have a personal connection to, to it. So the, the story really came or the film really came about as a convergence of of different things you know my husband is a black diplomat we've been a foreign service family for almost 20 years now maybe even a little longer than 20 years if i don't want to do the math and date myself but we've been in this world for a while and you know, oftentimes we would go uh, overseas to post, and we would be one of the few um, black families there um, amongst the American diplomatic community. And after a while, you, you know, you want to dive into why, like you know, why that's so. You know, at the same time, my husband would meet these incredible um, older diplomats who would tell stories of their early careers and their um, their experience navigating the foreign service. And I remember him specifically, you know, one day saying to me, "These are such you know incredible stories that nobody." knows about and the fear that when this generation of diplomats passes, so will these stories. And at the same time, he handed me a book called Black Diplomacy by Dr. Michael Crenn, who is um, a scholar who's featured in our film. And those things coming together uh, sparked an interest and a jumping created a jumping off point to dive deeper into this history and to read more about it, to dive into the oral histories that are out there. Um, and I brought the idea to my my filmmaking partners, my, who are my producing partners on this project, Kylie Kraskowskis and Rochelle Shapiro at Flow State Films. And we decided that this would be a great um you know, a great history to dive into and and see if we could make into a film. You know, Dr. Kren was on this program a few weeks back and he talked about the history of diplomats and he talked about some of the people that are in your film. And I was privileged to know um, 
uh, Carl Rowan, Ambassador Rowan, uh, before he passed. Uh, of course, you know, I was a young journalist back in the 90s, and this was, you know, sort of on the tail end of his journalism work, too. And so, you know, that began my interest and activity in covering people who work in that world that you and your husband and family are in. And I've always found it curious looking around the world at other places and other people and other countries. And certainly my day job, and I say this freely, is is national security. I cover national security as a national security correspondent. So every day I'm talking to diplomats from different countries. I travel to different countries regularly. And, you know, one of the things I've always wondered about is how is it that other countries perceive the U.S. because of the diplomats they see or don't see? And I'm just wondering, you know, off topic of your film, we'll get back to it in a moment, but have you had any interaction or any understanding of how they view these people in these other countries view the U.S. because of who represents them? Well, and I think it's um, that's probably a question better answered by a a diplomat, a working diplomat. I know that, you know, I think from what I think is that diplomats bring their lived experiences to their work. And if you don't have a diversity in that lived experience, then I think it really short circuits the country's ability to connect on many levels and nuanced ways with other countries. And so I think by having a more inclusive diplomatic core, it helps create um, a core that is better able to connect on, on different levels with other countries and create those bridges. And I know that my, my husband, you know, from his experience, you know, brings that to his job, especially in the type of work that he does, um, which is in public affairs and cultural programming and, you know, tries to, you know, show that diversity of American representation in the work that he does. So I think it only strengthens our ability to um, to connect with people on a on a real level um, overseas if you have a more inclusive diplomatic corps. So do you have you noticed anything about the way you as the wife of a black diplomat are treated? Overseas, have you noticed anything, or would you even know what to notice uh, about how you're treated, reference uh, in reference to other other diplomats and their families? Um, I mean, there is one. I, I you know, if just getting anecdotal, I guess you know that when we were overseas at one point, I was with a friend, and um, I, this person did not know this person that we were interacting with did not know that we were part of diplomatic families, but um, I, I knew that they thought that I was the help. <laughs> oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, it's just little things like that, I guess, but that had less to do, I think with um, diplomacy. I don't think the person knew I was a diplomat at the time or I was part of a diplomatic family. I don't think I can really answer that in some ways, just because, you know, I think when you're talking about someone like Doris Todman, who was, um, you know, the wife of uh, Ambassador, Mm -hmm. 
I, you know, at that level, I, you know, I'd be, that would be an interesting question to ask Doris Todman when you're, you know, working in diplomacy at that level, when you really are at a lot of yeah. representational events yeah. and um, really interacting um, at sort of the higher levels of diplomacy, it, it would, that would be an interesting question to ask her something that she didn't, you know, in our interview didn't dive, you know, deeply into, but um yeah, I'd be curious to know if, if what her response would be to that. Yeah, you know, she seemed like a very interesting woman. And, you know, I saw an interview um, where her son talked about the Dalai Lama experience. Uh, and that was really, really interesting where he talked about her and how she, you know, had been given this instruction about what to do and what not to do. And when she met the Dalai Lama and, you know, one of the things I think is don't touch It's kind of like the thing with the queen or whatever. And she immediately when she saw him reached out her hand and he took her hand and shook it. And they, you know, it, it was an amazing moment. And so, yeah, I imagine she would have some very, very interesting things to say about that whole process. Back to the film. Um, was there something or a few things that you learned um, in the process of putting this film together that have stuck with you that or, or that resonated more than others that you want to share? You know, one of the things that has been important to me in telling this story and this and, and doing it in in film, I think, is the importance of actually seeing um, black diplomats operating at this level um, overseas, you know, interacting in this world of diplomacy. And so for me, what I, I loved, a, a, an incredible discovery to me was a collection of photographs of Edward R. Dudley and the community of diplomats that was working in Liberia in the 40s. Um, it's something that we don't see, you know, and um, yeah. touched me in a way, you know, especially because it was on the one hand, you know, that story is about this um, is about the Negro circuit. And it's about this collection of posts that black diplomats were confined to during that time period. Um in direct contradiction of what the policy is in the State Department, which is to rotate foreign service officers to different countries all over the world every two to three years. And in the 1940s, Black diplomats really could only go to a handful of posts like Madagascar, Madagascar and Haiti and Liberia. And so on the one hand, you see this community of, of diplomats you know, Edward R. Dudley and, and the staff, you know, at the at the embassy in Liberia. And to me, it was a beautiful thing to see black people, black Americans <laughs> together working overseas in an embassy because you and like now it's you know, it's you don't really see. Um, you know, like I said, sometimes we go overseas and we're only, you know, handful of people of color, black families at post and just sort of see all these families. It was a beautiful thing and it was sort of an emotional thing. Um, but, uh, you know, recognizing the contradiction in that, obviously, that, um, you know, these diplomats, you know, by 
you know, right should have been um, able to serve at post all over the country. But seeing these photos and seeing um, Black diplomats in action in this embassy it was just a meaningful thing for me and something that we ha- hadn't seen and that I wanted people to see. Um, and at, at really at that moment when we found this collection, it's the Griff Davis collection. Yes. Griff Davis was a Black photographer turned Foreign Service officer. Um, I knew that we had a film, you know, I knew that we could tell this visually. And so it was an important moment. And just so I don't know if that answers the question, but it was like, just like the imagery around it, like even um, this great clip of Terrence Todman and, um, and Chad and Carl Rowan in Finland. I mean, we don't see this in our history, you know, when we diplomacy in and of itself, I think is a very, um, misunderstood and kind of it's a mysterious um, form of, you know, employment. Not many people know what the world of diplomacy is. So you don't see it. Number one, you know, it's a quiet thing. It's a behind the scenes thing. So I think um, the film opens that world up, you know, at the same time, if the the job itself isn't really uh, known or understood, you know, imagine like the stories of black diplomats or other diplomats of color, like those stories are really in the background. And so it was just important to me, I think, to to see these characters in action and to, um, you know, if you, you can't beat if you can't see it. And so I wanted people to see it. And I wanted hopefully, you know, a younger generation to to be inspired by it. Yeah. You know, I want to take this film and your thoughts and a little anecdote that I read about this uh, film and see if we can connect it to the reality today, because I am not certain that there are uh, enough black diplomats in the world today, uh, diplomats of color, period, black diplomats, definitely. But you know, there's a, an anecdote that's written on on, on the flowstatefilms.com website that says at the height of the civil rights movement in the U.S., these men talking about Todd Monroe and Dudley represented the best of American ideals abroad while facing discrimination at home. Colloquially referred to as male, pale and Yale, the State Department fiercely maintained and cultivated the Foreign Service's elite character and was one of the last federal agencies to truly desegregate. Talking to some folks that I know that work at the State Department today, they still have a big problem over there. And talking with Ambassador Gina Abercrombie, when when Stanley, who's been on this program as well, she says she's going to break some China to deal with this issue. So I just wonder if you could give me your perception of where we are. And I know you, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to, to wade into something that could be complicated for you and your families, considering what your husband does. But I'm just interested in how you think today's racial climate in this country impacts uh, the way this whole thing is approached inside the U.S. You know, we're out in the world saying, hey, you should do this and do this and do this and this. You know, we're supposed to be this shining city on the hill, but we've got we've got some problems. So I'm just wondering um, how this film can be translated into what America needs to do today internally to get right abroad. Yeah. I mean, I think the film definitely um, resonates today. I mean, I think just in the last couple of years alone, 
you could see in the international media, um, you know, how the coverage of what was happening in the U.S. with George Floyd in particular, there was quite a bit of international coverage um, that, you know, connects America's legitimacy with, um, uh, you know, in terms of democracy and equality. So, uh, you know, I think the film today definitely, the, the film and the subjects that it covers definitely resonates today. And I think um, when, especially you look at someone like Terrence Todman, um, you know, his approach was always, you know, I tell the truth. You know, I, um, you know, Jim Dandridge says in the film, you know, Terrence Todman, you know, believed that uh, you have honest conversations and his job was to represent the United States, the good, the bad and the ugly. And if it was ugly, he said it was ugly. And so I think that's, um, you know, something that, you know, echoes today. And, you know, I think with the the office that was just created in this past year, the um on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the State Department, I think really signals a shift in um, the State Department's approach to issues of equity and inclusion in the Foreign Service. And I had the honor of um, participating in a panel a couple of weeks ago on the legacy of Ambassador Todman and his life. And um, the ambassador, Abercrombie Wynn Stanley, was uh, part of that panel. And it was exciting to hear her thoughts and and how she wants to kind of reimagine um, how we deal, how these issues are dealt with in the State Department. And I think, like I said, I think it should signals a shift. And I think yeah. there's a real commitment to to change. And I think, you know, I'd be an, I'm very hopeful to see what unfolds in the next year or two. Yeah, I saw that uh, panel with Miriam Safey moder- moderating it, and it was it was excellent. And, and you know, that was precisely what I was referring to with Ambassador Abercrombie. Win Stanley was her, you know, her plan to shake things up a bit. Um, how can we as Americans in general, all of us, get behind this idea? How should we get behind this idea that you know if we're going to walk this walk? the right way, then we've got to get some things fixed here at home. What do people here, in your mind, um, and using this film, I suppose, as, as as a springboard, what do we need to learn and what do we need to do? Well, I mean, I think about think about this from the perspective of the film. I think about it as, you know, the question of who represents America, you know, these are individuals, Dudley, Todman, and Rowan, who created space for people like my husband, for Black diplomats and people of color to have a voice in how our country is represented overseas. And I think what I would hope that this film could accomplish is to start those conversations and to get people thinking about this as a possible career, that it's not something that is only for a privileged few, that it is something that um, is accessible, really. I mean, it's an exam that you take. It's a written test and an oral exam that's open to 
the public. Um, not many people know that. Let's get the word out about that. Let's let's um, help people understand, particularly people of color, women, people from underrepresented communities, that there is space for us and how America is represented overseas. And here are the people that helped create it that helped create that pathway for us. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this question about yourself, if you would be so willing to indulge us. Um, can you tell us a bit about how how your life has gone, what your experience has been? What were were there any moments in your life when, you know, race was like right there in your face and, you know, was obvious that, OK, this ain't right. I don't like this or this is cool. This is good. This is something that inspired me. Were there any seminal moments in your life? that you believe resonated to the to the degree that it was formative in how you think today? I remember being in high school and um, a counselor making me feel a little less than, and it, I knew it was based on race. I knew that, um, you know, she basically told me being black, my grades might be good enough to get into this place, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, and it was actually at a moment when I was really questioning whether I wanted to go to college. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being in that meeting and just feeling like this small. Wow. And I don't know why I'm getting <laughs> that's, a little emotional about this. <laughs> that is, that, I mean, that's huge. Look, I mean, I can remember I can remember my first job when I came to Washington, the very first radio station that I worked at, the former, not the current, but the former general manager who was beloved was in there when I came in the first day. And he said to me in front of everyone, you're only here because you're black, JJ. So I get it. I mean, this 30 years later, this still resonates with me. It cuts. And I I remember at that point, I remember not knowing what I wanted to do, not knowing if I wanted to go to college. I, I, I was just at this very in-between point. And I remember walking out of that meeting saying, forget it. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to show her essentially. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I applied to a bunch of schools in the UC system. I got into every one that I applied to and it changed the tra- trajectory of my life because I, you know, at one, I wasn't sure about college and then I went to college and it, I became um, sort of, I fell in love with academics again, because I think at the time I felt very burnt out and I realized college is a different thing than high school, that college is a place to spread your rings. College is a place to dive into the things that you're passionate about. It's a place to explore. And that really changed how I saw academia at that point. And um, field from then became actually pretty ambitious, more than more ambitious than I was when I graduated from from high school. And, um, you know, in college, I, I got a, a fellowship, um, the Public Policy and International Affairs Fellowship, mm-hmm. which fueled my interest in, in international relations and, you know, 
still kind of unsure of what I wanted to do, but knew that I wanted to be in this field. Um, that led to, you know, going to grad school at Tufts at the Fletcher School. And, you know, it, it just, it I, I fell in love with school after that. And, I'm, you know, and so I, I look back at that and I, I, I felt this small and, and look how big you are and, now. And that's, and I, I felt like I, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, look what you did. Um, but when, you know, I think about, and that it angers me too, when I think about, you know, youth at, at that critical moment, you know, really trying to figure out who they are to have someone say something like that, that really undercuts you and really makes you feel like nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And no, I, you, yeah. I completely get it. And you know what? I am so grateful that you are willing to bear yourself like this on this show and, 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 and show your emotions because, you know, I've cried on this show before and, you know, it's a, it's an audio thing. So people can't see me, you know, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is okay to do that. I mean, and this is a part of what colors is all about. It is okay to explore this. It's got to be done. Because if we don't do it, then we're going to keep doing this. We're going to do that definition. People say that is insanity and doing the same thing, expecting right. something different to happen. So, you know, I'm so grateful that you shared that moment, though. I really am. Well, I will say this to you. It is a testament to your interviewing skills because no one <laughs> who knows me will think that I <laughs> opened up in a media interview because I get so nervous about these things and I get very, you know. I'm going to tell you, um, Leola, this is not to me. This is not a media thing. This is a this is this is a personal thing. I don't get a nickel for doing this. Yeah. This is something that's got to be done because I don't have any other option. I can't leave this. We can't leave this. You know, people talk about ally fatigue and all that stuff. Those folks who are actually able to to do that and be that are fortunate. But people who are in it like we are, you don't have an option. You can't. So, yeah, I mean, I am. I'll just say this. I am so grateful that I had a chance to engage with you today. And uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important uh, about this film and about yourself and about what you want done here and your objectives, et cetera, that I haven't asked you about? No, I mean, I think I've said it. Um, for me, I think, the for me, what I really hope, as I said before, people take away is that there is space and diplomacy for people of color and that these are some of the trailblazers who helped create that path. I also hope that black diplomats who are working today, like feel seen by this film um, and feel um, that, uh, you know, we've done some justice to telling the story. And I also just want to say too, that this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this is, there are many stories and, many diplomats worthy of um, of a film. I mean, um, Edward Perkins and Ruth Davis and Aurelia Brazil, who's in our film, and we weren't able to dive deep into her career, but has an amazing career. Um, 
there are so many stories and I hope that the, the film provides the jumping off point for other people um, to dive deeper into this history, to learn more about these individuals and what they've done, how they've represented our country. And, um, you know, both, like I said, the achievements and the challenges that they faced and, um, and, and, you know, how they've created that space for women and people of color in diplomacy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Leola Calzolai Stewart, founder of the Virginia-based production company Flow State Films. She currently directs and produces the historical documentary The American Diplomat, and this is a fantastic film. And for those folks, whether you're in the national security or diplomatic world or the news world or any world, this is an education watching this film about this is an education about today and how today is built off of yesterday and tomorrow is built off of today. And what she's done is put together an amazing example of how in order to go to where we want to go to tomorrow, we have to know where we came from. And so Leola, thank you. Thank you sincerely for doing this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Michael Edwards. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am white, and I grew up in a small southern town about an hour's drive east of Raleigh. I am 72, and I recognize the need for change is long overdue in addressing the racism issue. I recall the words of Huey Newton spoken in the 1960s. If you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution that allows us to truly become one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Julie Pham, Vietnamese, American, born in Vietnam, living in Seattle. My name is Darren Brown. My tribal affiliation is Cochiti Pueblo in New Mexico. My name is Debbie Ratliff. I am of Irish, Scottish, and Puerto Rican descent. I was born in Puerto Rico. My name is J.J. Green. I'm Black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. The Black population in the U.S. One in ten Black Americans were born outside the United States, adding their children, you know, who are these second-generation Americans. 20% of Black Americans are either immigrants or the children of immigrants. Emmanuel Felton, race and ethnicity reporter on the America desk at the Washington Post, says that's only a part of the story. But what we do know is that Black folks experience the immigration system differently, like they experience American differently. Data show Black immigrants are twice as likely to face deportation because of a criminal conviction and more more than three times as likely to be detained as their immigration cases pending in the court. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. And as we go today, I want to say thank you to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Ron Pemberton, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Gretchen Soren, Allison McGinley, Jennifer Selig, 
Pierre Thomas, Stephen Portnoy, Peter Masurlian, Jasmine Orsted, Melissa Howell, Roz Whitaker Heck, Ernie Green, Anjali Chong, Mara Moran, The Core Family, Gina Bazemore, and of course for the music, Jesse Gallagher. Thanks to Cosmic, and also thanks to Offshane. And most of all, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.